0: Welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Wintrow Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at Mangasplaining.com. Beloved, we are gathered here today to discuss <laughs> Heavenly debut Divu- <laughs> Yeah, I said the intro right, and then whipped the intro or with the is segue. That,
1: is that because we record on uh, Sundays now? Yeah, no, kind of. Yeah, a yeah now it's all field. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, it. Oh man.
0: We are here to talk about Heavenly Delusion by Masakazu Ishiguro, published by Dimpa Publishing, a publisher that I really enjoy, run by Ed Chavez, sort of the successor to Vertical Comics in a way, mm-hmm. from Kodansha in terms of like staff and making taste in the t- kinds of books they publish. And once I find like an editor or like a licensor who Of reflects my taste, you know. I follow them around, like, what else Mm -hmm. do they got for me? Where are they gonna gonna pull off? And Denpa is one where I pretty much have an inkling that I'll just try anything they do just because there's Mm got to be something there. Kind of like how Deb says, like, she never understands my picks, but there's always like some kind of kernel of something in there. (laughs) I feel very similarly about Denpa, even if I don't vibe with the books, (laughs) there's like a twist. And with Heavenly Delusion, the twist is kind of that I know this author for their humor work. There's this series called And Yet the Town Moves. It's kind of about a maid cafe. And it's very wacky and postmodern and kind of not about anything. But it was so funny and so well written. It went on for, you know, a hundred something chapters, uh, several volumes at any rate. And so this one was a surprise to me because it's basically straight up sci-fi. It's funny, but it's not a comedy manga in a way. Mm, yeah. And it's how I found out that this, you know, really funny artist got his start doing science fiction. And the comedy was kind of a sideline. And his bio says, while he broke through in the sci-fi genre, Ishiguro is best known for his comedies, particularly the Japan Media Arts Award winning And Yet the Town Moves by Shonen Gahosha. Whimsical, stylish, and often surreal, Ishiguro's works are often put into their own unique SF genre, Slightly Fantastical. And I think Slightly Fantastical really fits with Heavenly Delusion. It's sort of... Rather than reading the back cover copy, if I had to pitch it to someone just standing there, it's sort of like... All the kids from Akira, the, like, espers in a post-apocalypse where there's also, like, different versions of them outside of their little, like, study session. Yeah. But it all comes together in this kind of really strange, weird, compelling mix for me. And it's so strange that I knew I had to bring it to manga explaining because, you know, we have such varied tastes and high expectations of our manga that I thought it could be a pretty cool conversation. So, Heavenly Delusion. I want to start with Christopher. You've been awake the longest. I have. (laughs) (laughs) How did you feel about this one? Did it strike your interest?
2: Was it pretty cool? It's super weird, actually. I need to say that I was given a review copy of this by Ed Chavez of Denpa Publishing two years ago. I think in the first month that the (laughs) podcast started, he's like, hey, consider, consider this. And I did not read it actually at the time he also sent invitation from a Crab, which we read and really enjoyed here on the mm. podcast at the same mm. time that was more my more my speed I started to read it and I didn't I kind of bounced off of it but honestly last week I was going through and read Skygrazer Skygrazer is what it's called yeah Skygrazer a single volume short story collection by Masakazu Ishiguro that Kodansha put out and I'd heard about it online and the cover is really nice and it's another sci-fi book as well Mm -hmm. covers like really beautiful it's got this like really limited palette beautiful graphic design totally totally interested in it and it it really messed me up (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you (laughs) i was reading it and it was like it starts off and it's just like a full-on gag manga for the first chapter and then you realize that every character in that first chapter has this horrible like wretched backstory that's like complicated about like real life and there's just a lot like what's real what is a real person like what are any of us Mm -hmm. it's really weird to be honest and really good it reminded me of when i was i hate to say it but when i was going through scanlations when it was like before the manga boom where i would be Mm -hmm. digging through and finding these like weird beautifully drawn science fiction short stories that someone would would be you know kind enough to to translate in their spare time and throw up online and that guy this guy has like such a vibe there like he's a post akira post otomo artist for sure <laughs> yeah and skygrazer is great and also super problematic uh, and also like absolutely <sighs> worth reading it's digital only from kodancha and so opening up this i was i was prepared i was like ready And it did not fail. (laughs) It did not disappoint. It it met all of my expectations from reading Skygrazer. It is really beautifully drawn. It is really interesting, has complicated SF ideas that I think it's executing on at a pretty high level. It is super problematic in a couple of different ways that I am sure we will get into. and. Unlike Skygrazer, which ends pretty definitively and in a really satisfying way, this left me wanting more. I want to see the second volume. I'm not sure that I'm ready nice. for it based on what's in the first one, but yeah, I'd keep reading for sure.
0: Okay. I will say that last night I was rereading this to you know prepare for the pod, and I ended up going straight through to volumes two and three and almost bought oh, wow. volume four, but I didn't want to like skew the podcast talk about a bunch
2: of spoilers that hadn't happened yet you know yeah i actually i almost bought volume two too but i was listening back to the last (laughs) couple episodes and it was like oh i just kept reading on all these and i've ruined
3: (laughs) like so much of it it's like well
2: actually midori-kun volume four this happened and it's yeah okay (laughs) so i decided i would just just do the assignment this week no extra credit nice
0: and we'll keep it traditional manga explaining and go to deb next how did you feel about heavenly delusion Did this one infuriate you, like die dark?
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. By comparison. I mean, straightforward in the sense, straightforward is maybe not the best way to describe it, because you go from chapter one, Mm -hmm. and then things change dramatically in chapter two, and you don't know how you got from chapter one to chapter two, but Mm. that's okay. Again, like kind of similar to Chris, this was one of those books that Ed said, this is one to watch, and you should read it. Mm. And I took my time getting around to reading it because, one, I think it was this period of time when it was really hard to get the physical copies. Mm. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to Ed at this past Anime Expo, and he said that he licensed this one right away, like, like a few chapters in. And so he was so ahead of the curve that by the time it started coming out, the anime was running at the same time. That mm. rarely happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a, a manga miracle. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and he's very proud of this one, and understandably so, because it's such an interesting bit of storytelling. Um, the way that it unveil- reveals different layers of what's going on. Like you read chapter one and you get the sense of, you know, the kids are in the space and they're being told not to go outside. Mm-hmm. And there's little bits of dread being dripped out. And then all of a sudden, chapter two, they are out there in the world, and you see this world of um, decay and despair, right? And you mm-hmm. don't know to why, and what's what? What did that ominous warning that the older woman said? You know, there are horrible beasts out there. You don't know what's going to happen. So, like the way that you know, the chapter one sets you up. Chapter two puts you right in there, and then you're trying to figure out what happened between chapter one and chapter two. And it, again, it drips it out. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really clever in that it it keeps like you were saying, like how both you and Chris were found this so propulsive that you were yeah. immediately compelled to buy the next volumes. And that's good storytelling, you know? That's not a given. Not every story does that. Sometimes some stories you just stop in like chapter two and you're like, Well, that's enough for me. <laughs> 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 yeah. I think it's it's really interesting. I mean, I I I haven't read ahead yet, mm-hmm. but I'm, um, I'd like to continue.
0: Nice. All right. Chip, what's your take? And also, did any of it seem familiar to you now that you've read 105 manga?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like the Akira stuff, for sure, obviously. Yeah. There's even some faces and expressions and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's such an Tomo thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm much like Chris and Deb, like I I really enjoyed the the kind of the revealing of things throughout this. Mm-hmm. Cuz I don't I didn't remember the pitch. I don't remember what you said when you pitched it to us. So thankfully my my bad memory really came in handy here cuz at first I'm reading I'm just like, "Oh, okay, this is a story about like, you know, them being trapped in here. And this woman's clearly lying that outside's terrible and there's beasts." Mm-hmm. Because you don't trust the adults in these stories, right? Especially mm-hmm. the ones in charge. And then, like, cut to outside. It's terrible and there's beasts. <laughs> like, I, I I quite enjoy that. And then, like, seeing, you know, the, the character that looks like the one inside, like, there's some really nice little mystery bits that they've just kept dropping throughout this.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not necessarily a big fan of Walking Dead style stories. Like, mm. Whereas, where but this was like Walking Dead, but like a bit more focused. It felt like the Walking Dead stuff that I did like, which was like early on, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of like, you're wandering and you're kind of meeting people and you're kind of figuring things out and you kind of got your little routines. Yeah, I found I found all that like charming and interesting and, and some really nice kind of world reveals, especially when they get to like Tomato Heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this it, it sounds like you know the worst pitch of all time, but the whole book felt like walking dead meets lost. Yeah, actually, because there, yeah, there's the post apocalyptic kind of like searching for something, but there's also the mystery, like, Oh, what is this gun? What is this symbol? Like, you know, why am I having these, like these, these visions of things? And like, it really makes you want to go to volume two. Yeah. And it's really well drawn too, like some really nice environmental stuff, which we don't necessarily get a lot of, in, yeah. in the manga that we're reading, like I felt like there's a lot of effort put into this. Like obviously, the Otomo influence, not quite on the technical level of Otomo, but who is? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, some really nice poses, really nice kind of layouts. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I quite liked it.
0: I like the point about the the environmental drawings because the I, before the podcast, I showed you know the team, the Mon gang, some a little sketch I'd been working on this morning, just you know, killing time. Yeah. And it's using Ishiguro's artist reference, like the way he draws trees and rocks, trying to get that effect. Okay, yeah. Like trying to find his problem solving. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty fun. Christopher. No,
2: I'm sorry, David. We didn't get your take.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I found this. I love stories where I don't know what's going to happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And whether it's like, I can't believe this is happening or what the heck is going to happen next. Like, yeah. Gantz is kind of a, I can't believe this is happening. This is the dumbest thing in the world. And I have to see what's gonna <laughs> yeah. be on the next page. Yeah. But this is more like I can't leave this twist. Like I never would have seen anything in this book coming, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Even down to the different motivations and kind of like what propels people forward. It's got a great mix of humor. Like the jokes are really funny when they pop up, but yeah. the writing I thought was so so well paced. Like Chip was saying, they're kind of like parsing out an information, but they do it in a way to where Just when you get used to what the environment is, what the setting is, it's like, oh, by the way, this kid can, you know, he's got magic powers, too. You know, he's got a Maru touch Mm. or something. But it never feels like a rug pull or, you know, everything you know is wrong. It's just like, this didn't matter until now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there is some good creeping suspicion, too. So it's not a rug pull, Mm -hmm. necessarily, because the hints are definitely there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think it's interesting too. like the reveals like you know his his power or whatever in let's say a Marvel comic <laughs> that would be a splash page reveal like yeah and let me do this and you're like whoa <laughs> but here it's just, it's just part of the story like it's not paced out that way mm-hmm. yeah. of like of like yeah it's like you are just following them.
0: And it's very much an ongoing thing. It's not just like he can do this and that's it. That's how that's how they're going to win. It's like he can do this, and like nobody really understands why or how it works. And also, weird things start happening with it. Like it keeps kind of snowballing into this thing. Mm
4: -hmm. I want to build on what you just said, Chip. I mean, about the way that things are, you know, just different Mm -hmm. than how this a similar plot point would have been, you know, handled in an American comic book. Is there anything that you saw in here that you thought, "Damn, that's a banger idea"? I, I, I think I'll do that next time.
1: <laughs> oh, geez, um, I don't, I don't know if there's any specific techniques besides that. I mean, I, I quite enjoy the idea of just like the gentle reveals.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, not, not, nothing that 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 super jumps out. There are some good like page flip reveals in here for sure that i definitely didn't see coming mm. like i i, I really like that the whole story you know but like you know going to a town encountering a new person having another adventure but like the 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 innkeeper who like you know mm. drugs them to keep them asleep and you're just like you, you're trying to figure out why and stuff and then when she reveals like oh it, my son's inside then they're like no it ate your son like uh, yeah They're like, no, no, it protects me and stuff." And then the next page where like her head is just lopped off oh, in half, that was... I was like, "Oh man.
4: I didn't Yeah, I was not prepared for that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, the fact yeah. that the smile is still on her face because it's happened so fast, mm. it's a very good visual. This
4: reminded me a lot of parasite.
0: Yeah, parasite for sure. We should put parasite on the list for next season. Mm. But the I had the thought that like the kids made the monster mad, and that's why it killed her. Hmm. You know, oh, there's really? like so much. There's so much wiggle room in there. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't like quite what happened. Know. Happened. Yeah. Let's tackle some of the problematic stuff, Christopher. What did you have in mind?
2: <laughs> there's some underage nudity in this volume. That is, yeah, definitely in the realm of like wacky hijinks that a bunch of teenagers would probably get up to, but is also mm-hmm. very lovingly rendered. Dude's a great artist, so mm-hmm. it's like. Yeah, I think you can get away with some of this stuff. But if you linger on it with the camera, it becomes creepy. And I think that that's like True. the biggest problem with it. And I know it's going to come up in the comments. So I did some, I did a little bit of research on this because I'd heard, oh, this uh, I can't watch this anime, whatever. And there is a scene later on in the series, rape scene that is like very divisive in the audience. And it's played absolutely mm-hmm. awfully. Like it's not portrayed even like, it's not portrayed like this is, like like the stuff in volume mm-hmm. one is, but it is still like so shocking and so horrible for people that read it and weren't expecting it that they've like sworn off of the manga and the anime because of it.
3: Wow. But
2: also there's, you know, there's the last page reveal in this, and I, I think we can get away with not without spoiling it, that has also triggered a lot of very shitty people. And so there's a lot of discourse uh, about this book that is very bad faith as well. So it's really hard to mm-hmm. um there's a lot of stuff in here that is like very complicated to talk about on a podcast that you don't want to be demonetized <laughs> but i will say yeah i was like oh this is like digging through scanlations in the 2000s the 90s and the 2000s actually because you'll flip a page and be like oh right the laws in japan were very different 20 years ago <laughs> things could be different yeah. on the page all right go to the next page so yeah, yeah. and that's like i don't know it's 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 an illustration. It's not a real anybody, but at the same time, it's like man. It's maybe why this book is coming out from like I don't know. Ed, Ed licensed it early because it's good and it's compelling, and he, like it was bound to get an anime, and then it did, and the anime is apparently really good. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I think this kind of material from a different publisher wouldn't necessarily fly. There'd be a lot more steam <laughs> if I. Interesting. Steam in from the shower scene coming up to cover up some bits, that kind of thing. Because that's that's just like that's what Viz does. It's what happened with Udon on summertime rendering that pissed a lot of lot of people off. So I think that mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're getting the uncensored material here uh, for better and for worse.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I thought of a girl on the shore while reading this quite a bit actually. That's like my peak. Like, oh no, I can't read this on the bus. What am I doing? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. But I thought this was less titillating in that vibe.
2: Oh, okay. I found. Like, it's still very. But Girl on, on the, the Shore one. was so grotesque, though. Like, these are people. These are, like, yeah. children that yeah. feel like the, it's, like, the end of their life. And they're just, like, nothing yeah. they do matters. Whereas this is, like, oh, I got a creeper shot of, like, the girl that we all like in our class. And I'm sending it to you. And it's, like, that's very realistic. But also, like, it's not. The story isn't what makes it a creeper shot. (laughs) Yeah, how he drew it in the book—that's like kind of like, yeah, that's it's the approach to the material, not necessarily what's happening Mm -hmm. within the context of the story. Like, yeah, within the context of the story, "Girl on the Shore" is deeply disturbing, Mm -hmm. but it's meant to be, and I think that that's that. But it's still all going to be hugely triggering for a lot of people who are, like, do not want to see any sex or nudity in their books, let alone from a, yeah. from a teenage character. So,
0: yeah, it's 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 tough. I think so. there's a bracing moment, I would say, I think in Volume 3, with, like, a different crew that they end up with, where I was like, oh, this is, like, meant for adults, not in, like, a pornographic way, but, like, a, a lot of, like, horrible things are going to happen sort of a way. Which... Yeah, it's such an interesting balance for him to strike with this book because there are wacky hijinks, but then there's also like horrible things happening to people. But I never felt that the book was mm-hmm. unbalanced in that realm, like it tilted too far in either direction. Does that like how did the mix feel for you?
3: I'm
2: actually, chip in a really good re- comparison with Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and I and I'm, I totally agree with him there. But there's a scene that comes maybe right before Rick and Carl uh, meet Deegan. And they're basically camped out overnight in the flatbed of the of the pickup truck. And these two hillbillies come and, like, restrain Rick and are going to rape Carl. And it is, like, the most gut-wrenching scene that's happened in the book up until that point. It is awful. Mm-hmm. And Rick manages to just get free just in time to brutally murder both of them. And it's just, like, sobbing and, like, horrible afterwards. Really powerful writing. You know, like, really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. That is... That almost tilted the line for me. And I was like, whoa, this is like, yeah, it's the end of the world. But like, it was told in a visceral way, but it didn't really show anything. But then like 10 issues later, the stuff with Negan, just like casually murdering people, like the ultra, ultra violence of where the series went at that point, I stopped reading. And I'd been reading, I'd literally bought issue one off of the racks. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. It was too much. And, you know, a lot of that's me. We talk, I've talked a lot about the podcast <laughs> about how things get to be too much for me. Yeah. But, yeah, the series went in a direction that it was just not where I could read anymore. It tilted too far. Yeah. But, honestly, the introduction to Negan was maybe the most popular point in the entire series. And, like, that's when the series just skyrocketed. And then there was the TV shows and all the stuff that came after. And he was a favorite character. People cosplay as him. And it's just, like, yeah, he's a complicated character. But he's also bad he's a bad person he's not a bad person but in a worse world he's worse than the world actually yeah and that was the tilt for me and since you asked there's always there's
1: always that that weird balance like maybe maybe i've mentioned it before here on on the podcast but like in my teen years i read a lot of william burroughs because of course i did and (laughs) i remember there was a book of essays and one of them was an essay about him being approached to write a horror film because it was during like mm-hmm. I think The Exorcist was big or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'll write a horror film for you." And he wrote this thing, and he he sent it into the producers. Like, what the what the hell is this? This is this is we can't show this to anyone. Like, it was like all about like cutting babies open and filling them with drugs, and then like smoking the babies. I don't know. It was like horrible, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. William Burroughs. Yeah, case. yeah. He's like, oh, okay, no, you don't want actual terror and horror. You want the, the scintillating line between Mm -hmm. true Mm. horror and like, you know, comfort, and and that's that's the truth. That's the truth with like any kind Mm. of fiction, especially when you're when you're dealing with you know these kind of elements. It's like there's a choice there. Like, how far do I push it, and like what's what's the comfort line for people? Because the Walking Dead, the same thing happened to me. Like, I, I forget the issue number it was in the thirties or whatever. And it was like, it was like an issue where it was like just torturing a woman for like a whole issue or something. Oh, same. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. the one where I bailed too. Yeah. That was, that was that, was, that was the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I'm like, I'm a guy who can take a lot in the material. I, I, <laughs> I read, but I was just like, oh man, no, I just can't, I can't anymore. And I just, that, that was the end of it for me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, like other people carried on and like, so it, it's a me thing. It's not the, it's not the the material. Like the material is material, no matter what. Like it's up to me to kind of decide. Like, okay, am I still in or am I out? Like, mm-hmm. like where where's my personal line? Because the author has their personal line. Mm-hmm. Every reader has their own personal line. Like, and if they don't, you know, line up, then then you make <laughs> then you make the choice to like to abandon it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Deb, how about you? Where did you like? Were you particularly shocked? Mm-hmm.
4: Well, it's interesting cuz like as we're talking about this, you know, I I was reading a couple things came up for me, right? Like one was The Promised Neverland,
3: which Oh, is yeah. a story mm.
4: about a bunch of kids in this Id- idyllic school and then they find out the that it's all a lie. That basically they are being they are like veal in a pen <laughs> and they're being <laughs> raised to be eaten by demons. <laughs>
0: Super fun series. And yeah. so
4: then they, they escape, <laughs> mm. you know, into the world outside to escape this fate. And so there's some of that here, but that, you know, we were just talking about gore, right? Like in horror, I was reading a series on comic key called Brutal, and it's about a police detective who seems really cool and calm and really put together, but he's a serial killer <laughs> and he focuses on killing the unredeemable. And he hmm. does it in hmm. a way that is extremely grisly.
1: When so they Dexter,
4: show, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, it seems Dexter. It's really gross though, because like the when they show the guy who did the original was the Chris Target, they show him like cutting the limbs off young girls, putting their bodies in boxes, and that the there's flies, you know, Jeez. landing on like like flesh, right? Yeah, it's really disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Versus like when you see that scene where the mother gets sliced, right? It's basically like watching someone at Tsukiji Market cutting a piece of tuna.
2: <laughs> it really is. It's weird. It's
4: just flesh. There's no blood spurting out. It's just chunks of flesh being artfully sliced by a very sharp knife. Mm-hmm. And it gives a different vibe. I mean,
3: mm.
4: whereas like the, the one in Brutal where you're like, you're like. <gasps> Like that is just disgusting, but it feels real, you know? Mm. like, yeah, that's that's what happens with flesh, right? It'll rot. It'll smell, and flies will come. And it's gross. But when in this book, even when they show that couple that's desiccated
3: mm-hmm.
4: it feels real, but it doesn't feel gross. yeah, if that makes any mm.
0: sense, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's like a spectacle of violence aspect where if it's too close to reality that like reminds you what it actually is versus like what it's pantomiming, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Or maybe because you know, like with you know that that thing with you know the body being sliced, it's kind of like you know, like when we read a blood blockade battlefront where the building gets sliced, right? <laughs> yeah, That's
3: yeah. Same
1: yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. There,
4: it's there for visual impact. Yeah. Not, yeah. not I don't know, titillate you with with the spectacle of death, I
3: guess. Yeah
4: it's more yeah. metaphorical it's, it's more you know like i was watching that formula 1 show again yesterday and there was a scene where one of the drivers does there's a huge terrible accident
3: mm-hmm. and
4: one of the drivers actually does die i Jeez. noticed that they very they very tactfully did not show any close up scenes of that crash yeah they only show they only showed off in the distance and they you know boom and um people would, <gasps> but you don't see this slow motion car tumbling over crumpled or whatever
3: it's very respectful mm-hmm. and i
4: thought that was interesting because in, and i thought well this is odd you know because as it's revealed right because i know when i watch that show like i see all kinds of horrifying crashes but they're usually in glorious color and close-up and then the bits <laughs> of machinery are flying all over the place and then the desperate calls in the race like are you okay are you okay and it goes i'm fine and then they lift themselves out of the car like, whoa, how'd that, how'd that happen? Yeah. And then to see that how they handled an actual really bad accident, someone died. That was an interest. that was, a, I think, a tasteful choice, but a very deliberate choice.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: think taste matters a lot when it comes to stuff like this. And mm-hmm. like Chip was saying, it's different for everyone. So, like. If it seems like the kind of book you might not like, you
2: probably won't like it.
3: Yeah,
0: if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, if you're hearing us talk about it and you're like, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, one, uh, you're you're sure about it. Don't yeah. like read, it's not
0: like an, an endless slog of death and horror and unacceptable nudity, but like it is the kind of book where, like The Outsiders or Lord of the Flies or something, where it's like very frank about what's going on with kids.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Volume three, I think, is the one where it's like we have all these kids pinned up in our science, you know, institute. None of them know about puberty or kissing or even, you know, like relationships, but like puberty's happening. So yeah. they're starting to pair up.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So like child sexuality or and like their gender roles and things become like a text instead of subtext. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Which I think is another one of those things that Christopher mentioned. I <laughs> didn't want to spoil for this episode, but it goes to interesting places without being too gross about it, but it will it doesn't necessarily pull punches at the same time, I would say from what I've read so far.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the titillation thing is kind of, you know, a lot of our examples were like of horror. Yeah. The chances of that, like, you know, convincing someone like, Hmm, maybe I do want to lop off someone's head. You yeah. Know, and one clean, <laughs> clean go of it. Like that's obviously very low, which is why, you know, that's kind of horror tends to be more permissive in society. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. whereas like you know the underage nudity in here like you know chris pointed out it's very lovingly rendered and it could be rendered in such a way that it's like trying to arouse the reader mm-hmm. and and that's that's where the kind of the real problem lies because like you know are you in, endorsing and like fostering an environment where you know people see this as okay And then Mm -hmm. enacted in the real life. Like you read enough of this and you have that in your head and like, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Like, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Like for me, it's, it's not titillating at all. Yeah. But, but obviously not of the the mindset of say someone who's into very young girls. Yeah. So that's a tricky, it seems like the bug bunny X
2: argument for me though. Like you, you don't watch bugs bunny and then go, you know, smack someone around with a mallet kind of a thing. And I think that you can approach it that way, but I think that, you know people put things that they like into their work as well so it's it's a it's a difficult line mm-hmm. to tread for mm-hmm. sure david i remember what this book reminded yeah. me of have you read uh Mohiro kito's work it's uh, shadow star which was which is uh, <laughs> from dark horse back in the day nope and then bokurano i read bokurano
0: and it hurt my feelings so bad i didn't make it past like the first volume
2: wow oh yeah it only gets more, it's it's like it's like evangelion on hard mode it's like, we've taken these children and we've put them into a terrible situation that's far worse than anything that happens in Evangelion. And there's giant robots. And you're just like, oh, yeah. okay. And it's awful. Like, it, And every volume gets harder and harder and harder
0: to read. Actually, kind of like what we're talking about here, the oh, small spoiler for Bocorano Hours, like the robots kill the kids as they use them. It's part of yeah, like, yeah. the the concept. And I was like, this is too sad for me. Like, this is... Mixing something I love a great deal with something that makes me very sad in real life. Yeah. You know, like yeah. terminal illness, chronic illness, that kind of thing. But also like child soldiers. Yeah. Like there's some real It was like, like yeah. tremendously yeah. effective comics making, I mm-hmm. would say. Like it was yeah. good, but uh, like I couldn't take it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good touch point. But,
4: but I do like that there's books like that out there that are challenging.
3: Right? Yeah. Yeah.
4: That uh, that go where maybe Go outside the boundaries of where most storytellers go. Well, we're not going to go there, just mm-hmm. to see what will happen. Like I think a lot of mm-hmm. times, what I well, how I will ex- explain people the appeal of manga compared to like when manga first came on the scene to what was out there at the time was mm-hmm. you know, like Ranma One was kind of naughty and funny yeah. <laughs> and wild, and you you would never. Mm-hmm. That would never happen in a Richie Rich, you know what I'm saying?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not yet.
4: Mm. <laughs> well, given Ooh. that the what the Archie like zombie flicks and hang out yeah. with the Ramones, I, who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> and Big Ethel is now like like a twenty something going back to her hometown getting a getting a glow up. I mm. don't know what's mm. going to happen. So, but I'm just saying that, that The fun thing is about mangas. It's it it goes sometimes to dangerous places unexpected Mm -hmm. places and it sometimes it makes you uncomfortable
3: yeah i
0: Mm. think that this is probably similarly uncomfortable sexually as evangelion actually
2: Mm. Mm, yeah especially end of evangelion yeah uh, where they sort of all the subtext starts becoming text (laughs) uh we're making this book sound like such a like art
0: house lars von trier film
2: but it's got gags. Yeah. Actually can yeah. I, can we can we lighten up the
3: conversation? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> da-
2: David you you're always one for good gags. What was your favorite gag in this volume?
0: I Of course you would say that. I have to say the incest joke.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually really funny.
0: <laughs> Which sounds terrible after this conversation. Essentially there are two characters who are traveling together. They seem like brother and sister and when they meet an innkeeper, the innkeeper's like, "Look, like I know that you all are on the run and it's to apocalypse, but like there's morals and ethics." And like incest is not cool and they all kind of sit there awkwardly for a moment and they're like yeah. one we're not related two we don't have that relationship and just everyone's faces get red <laughs> you know? yeah so good <laughs> that's the most like and yet the town moves style joke in the book i think where someone is just so confident confidently incorrect i think and everyone else is just verklempt. <laughs> the I,
1: I like that Chris was like, "All right, enough of this. Let's lighten it up." David, what's your favorite joke? The incest one. I knew <laughs> it was gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I liked the, the 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 next beat of that joke, too, where, like, they get back to the room and she's like, can you believe that she thought that? And he's, like, super grumpy and turns and moves his futon away <laughs> yeah. from hers and is staring at the wall because he is completely in love with her, too. Yeah, yeah. And He's like, what's his problem? Totally oblivious to the fact. It was so good. Yeah. Ah, it was so good.
0: I'll say the cleaned one is the kid falling out of the tree. Ah, that was good. Because ah. that was like, holy crap. Like when he's climbing? Yeah. And they're like robots? The kid yeah, climbs yeah. way up and something happens, they fall and then they bounce in a way that you only see like broken bones drawn. But like, because the kid yeah. is sturdy, you know, they just pop up they're like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. You know, it's a good, <laughs> like dramatic irony thing for the reader, I think.
1: There, there are fun little touches throughout this book. And I really like that scene just because of the ingenuity of just like the kids thinking, oh, these, these these robots can go on any surface. Maybe we can like use them to climb like Yeah, (laughs) really smart and funny my
2: favorite visual gag was when he finds out one of the boys in the facility finds out that like the guy, the older guy, he's got kind of a crush on. That's like the good artist gave a drawing away (laughs) and then he like makes up with that girl, but then he walks over. And he just, like, grabs the girl that's sitting next to him and, like, judo throws her out of the way I screenshot that sit one too. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. I screenshot yeah. that one. I was like, the... it yeah it was, was so great. funny. <laughs> it was, like, very, very cutely drawn. Yeah.
1: Chip, how about you?
0: Was there anything?
1: I mean, I considered the head slicing a gag.
3: It kind yeah, of. I was fair. thinking that, too, actually.
1: <laughs> so, so I, think, I think that's that's the one. It's got to set up in a punchline. It's a dark book. Also, there's just something really funny about the the visual and the feeling of like her pruning the toilet so she could sit on a toilet that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just like, oh, that's that's fun. That's another like fun little touch. The idea that there's like plants growing out of this toilet, mm-hmm. but it's still a toilet.
0: Yeah, and Deb, how about you? What was yours?
4: I mean, I'm looking at sometimes there's these really funky little things like you know comments about styrofoam lasting forever
1: oh yeah i yeah. love i love that yeah human ingenuity like <laughs> hey bill thinks the last i'm like oh god <laughs> sure did. amazing yeah that was it's a, a great subtle but you know yeah
4: this is kind of like a you know a david brothers sweat the small stuff at moment kind of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you look through it it's like oh there are these little things in there it's like that's a clever little aside just kind of thrown in there little throwaway mm-hmm. line little thing and it's it's smart it It doesn't necessarily turn it into a comedy, but it does stop it from Mm. being like, you know, awful, grim, Mm -hmm. endless despair. Yeah. (laughs) That it would otherwise be.
3: Mm.
0: There was a line when they have the pop quiz. I could have sworn that I screenshot it. Oh, where a character says, uh, I'm sure of one thing, though. Just because you know a test is coming doesn't mean you'll know all the answers. Yeah, and mm-hmm, the kid is mm-hmm. like, "Should you look cool saying something like that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> if you like those kinds of jokes and you've made it this far in the podcast, check out And Yet the Town Moves. It's a great anime, great manga. And it's full of that kind of like slapstick, I guess, humor. Okay, but I got one last topic before we close out, and it's a manga explaining tradition. Talking about the art, so mm-hmm. we've mentioned Otomo. And there's definitely, like, a very clear Otomo influence, especially in everyone who lives, like, outside in the the apocalyptic areas.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah, some fun characters. Mm.
3: Yeah.
0: Maybe it's recency bias, but I recently picked up a Hisashi Eguchi art book. You know, he's a classically Mm. cute cartoonist. And I feel like there's... It's almost, like, cute Eguchi-style faces with Otomo-style backgrounds and rendering in a lot of this. There's a very, like... Mm. appealing vibe in a lot of different ways but the otomo way i think is maybe the most obvious christopher how did it strike you anything come to mind
2: yeah just otomo he's from that that school of artists that's like otomo it sort of affected everything i did he blew my mind and now I yeah am. same I'm yeah <laughs> that. i'm not i'm not upset about it. it looks great it did remind me a lot of Bokurano and uh, Shadow Star, when I was reading it, Shadow Star has some great environmental drawings because it's set on a small island, one of the, one of the, you know, small little uninhabited Japanese islands that had like a beautiful, it was like really well realized. And it also reminded me a little bit, even with some of the art, and it's kind of a tenuous connection. So I apologize, but Carlos B. McNeil's uh, oh, finder okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day. So there's a, there's a sequence and it's always, it's always stayed with me, it haunts me actually, where someone's giving a tour. Through this like city this part of the city that's collapsed and it's like and uh yeah this is where you could see a piece of the shields that keeps the like solar radiation off of us collapsed and fell and we still don't like we don't even know how it works or how to repair it we're just hoping it holds up and there's a there's an, there's an ongoing sort of sub story and finder that like all these things that we're building and the technology that will continue to build as humanity we won't necessarily always remember how to like have made it. There's already things that, you know, are made that we can't we can't make in the way that they were made. And that has a lot of when they're like exploring, especially the styrofoam yeah. section they mentioned, <laughs> that was great. But yeah, that's that was my touchstone for some of the art as well, because Carla doesn't draw anything like this, like is very, uh, draws almost everything with a brush, like really, like lithe and, and, and the movement's really interesting. But the environments always felt really real in Finder, like felt very much like these were real worlds and real places that were fantastic. And that was kind of the vibe here too, yeah. like especially contrasting, like we could just say at the beginning, the sequence where, where uh, Tokyo's double is sleeping inside a karaoke room. And for those of you that have been to Japan enough times, perhaps you've also slept in a karaoke room once or twice. And I was like, Oh, that's so real. Those couches are so comfortable, sort of. And yeah, that, that felt really real. But then you go into the, you go into these sort of like ruined bits of, of humanity. You go into the facility and you see, and it's all the environment. And so yeah, that was the art that, that really stuck out at me is like, yeah, the characters are cute and well drawn, but. Man, does does this artist take a lot of time to to make this place all of these places feel real, even even though they're not. And I thought that was awesome.
0: Nice. Yeah. And Chip, how about you? Anything stand out
1: to you? Yeah, I mean, there were a few scenes that yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the environments, but but this page in particular which is just like oh. just a really nice kind of establishing shot of Which page of, is that? I don't know which one, but it, uh, yeah, kind I took a screen grab. We're on the crosswalk, but, um, the bus. Yeah, the, bus it's them yeah. sitting on the cr- on the crosswalk and like that kind of like yes, a, a lovely. I, I'm a sucker for a lovely distance shot. I'm always hey, putting them in my scripts, and my artists are generally ignoring it. But um, <laughs> but it just it, it gives you such a sense of them being alone. It gives you a sense of like the order that used to exist with the all the crosswalk markings and the bus markings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with nature creeping in, and just like this, two kids just looking at a map. Like it's just really lovely.
4: I was I was going to remark on the pages immediately preceding it when the the bird creature debuts, like mm-hmm. the way that it goes from this white oh, yeah. silhouette coming from from the right, lands on the thing, and then the next page reveal you see what the creature really is. Yeah, so beautifully drawn, like and the way the tendrils are so, like so uh, beautifully like. Windy. It's kind of designed.
3: Yeah. It
4: it sets up both a mood of beauty and dread.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yes, exquisite. Then you immediately switch over to that scene you just described. And when I was reading through the next four or five pages, what amazes me is the camera angles he uses. You know, like he does like this above shot when they're walking, and then he goes to a close shot with them. You know, looking at each. You know, one person talking, and that's the next, like what they're seeing. And, and then after that, I'm like on page, they're looking and there's a perspective when they, they're seeing off in the distance, these men,
3: mm-hmm,
4: the mm-hmm. fence is pointing straight at them. Like the kind of the way that he's not doing this talking heads thing that I, I see a lot of people <laughs> do, right?
3: Yeah.
4: it's He's using very deliberate composition and angles to draw the eye in certain
3: yeah, mm-hmm.
4: uh, make reveals work. You know, even though the characters look so cute, you know they're stylized. It feels like a movie.
3: I could mm. see that.
0: Yeah, in terms yeah. of camera angles, yeah, you could definitely see them like traipsing through the uh, the post-apocalypse.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I didn't. I, I'm flipping through, looking for some good art of the initial kind of like bad guys that they encounter on the road, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm.
2: so awful looking.
1: They're so awful looking, but I'm, I, I, but like they really are like they're Otomo meets Dan Klaus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's there's a bit I didn't I didn't like clock obviously going kind of first time through. When the boy yells, "I'm a guy," and then the girl goes, "I'm a guy too," and he goes, "You lie." But like the fact that she says, "I'm a guy too," and then they yeah, she says at the, the end. end, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." <clears throat> Oh right, right. Yeah. You can you can tell like this isn't all just kind of made up on the spot. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, there's there's some thought
1: here. Yeah, there's, there's actual thought put into these plot points. So you know maybe my lost analogy isn't the best, but oh, shots fired! Wow, they admit it. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's smart touches like that. It probably requires a good reread. Yeah, the
0: tomato heaven thing comes up because. There or loops back around rather because there's tomatoes in
2: the science experiment place. Yeah, the first, shot first page of yeah, the yeah. facility yeah. is tomatoes, which is like, yeah. oh, and we sorry we are. You really had to have read the book for any of this with what we're saying to make <laughs> sense. I'm so sorry. It's available digitally wherever books are sold. But I yeah. Feel like, I feel like every conversation But we just keep saying tomato heaven.
1: Come on. <laughs> I know, but every conversation we have, like I can't imagine listening to any of our episodes without actually reading the book first. <laughs> yeah, same.
4: But I would say like, you know, like tomatoes are an interesting choice, right? Because tomatoes to me are an example of something that tastes amazing if it's grown naturally. And something that tastes horrible when it's grown in a factory setting. Mm. Right? I'm like, sensing
0: a metaphor.
3: Because it's like, you know,
4: like, like I, for years I hated tomatoes. Like the tomatoes that would get shipped to us in Hawaii tasted just mushy and, you know, flavorless. And there's just like, what do people like about this? Right. <laughs> when I first came to California and grew my own tomatoes, I'm like, you could pop them off the vine and pop them in your mouth go, well, that's why. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Did I tell you guys that tomatoes here in Taiwan are treated like fruits? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, multiple times here in Taiwan, I've gone to the grocery store to buy like oh, there's like a little plastic fruit cup or something like that, and it's like, what? What is that? Is that some sort of weird? cherry nope that is a tomato that is a cherry tomato (laughs) in the fruit cup with like grapes and (laughs) blueberries or whatever strawberries and also i believe deb mentioned yes they do on the street they sell dongle, like like mochi like japanese dongle, like little like soft squishy like uh sort of rice uh, i don't know how to explain like rice dough almost but then it's dipped in something sweet so they sell those with like a a glaze on top that hardens, like a candy glaze. And they also mm-hmm. do it with fresh strawberries, which is really, you know, it's good. Andrew hates it because it's like you're biting into, it's like biting into a candy apple. It's like hard candy and it like sticks to your teeth or whatever. It's for kids, oh. right? But yeah. they've also got it with cherry tomatoes. So there's like a skewer with like four or five cherry tomatoes on it covered in like hard candy that's been melted on top of it. And it is insane and it's like wonderful like food means god tradition means nothing here we'll just we'll do it we'll do it my favorite my favorite is the ice cream that is made with it's it's a it's two scoops of ice cream in like a like a flat like almost like a tortilla but like a like a thin crepe wrapper Mm -hmm. with a shaved peanut brittle that so it turns into like a peanut dust with some sugar in it and then cilantro is sprinkled on top and then they wrap the whole thing up and you eat it like it's an ice cream sandwich and it's cilantro, peanut brittle and vanilla ice cream usually like, and it is your, your brain at first is like, why am I biting into greens in ice cream? Like it's like a salad vibe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cilantro hits and you're like, this is actually the best thing I've ever eaten. It is so good. I crave tomatoes it. are a deal breaker, but that one sounds pretty good. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the night market food here is is <laughs> legit, but the tomatoes I can't get over how they use tomatoes here. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we should probably do uh, the final thoughts. All right, manga. We're talking about manga. Yeah. 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 yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we'll have snacks cleaning later. <laughs> Let's go Deb,
0: Chip, then Christopher. Deb, what's your final thought on Heavenly Delusion?
4: One, I think it's really an amazing book. It's interesting to read. It doesn't reveal its secrets very easily. It Mm -hmm. it really tantalizes you and keeps you wanting to learn more. It has definitely, it has flavors of the things we've all discussed, like The Walking Dead, The Lost, The Promised Neverland, Akira and all these kind of things, but it is something wholly different and mm-hmm. original on its own. I see the point where people are saying some things make them uncomfortable,
3: mm. and
4: my argument is: as long as you go in with your eyes open and take it for what it is, I think you'd, you it could be a really enjoyable read. But I think it's also you know good to know that ahead of time so that you're not you know running into something going like what the hell and throwing it across the. <laughs> yeah, you know, throwing the book yeah. across the hall, right? Because you're just like, no, this crosses a line that I cannot tolerate,
3: mm. and
4: that's different for everybody. For me, it it makes me a little uncomfortable, but it doesn't make me angry, and it doesn't trigger me like in a, in a fit of how dare they? This mm-hmm. should never be, you know, out there. But I will say that for all you librarians out there, be <laughs> <please train> carefully <laughs> with this one. It is a fascinating book, but purchase for your collection
0: caution pretty good thank you (laughs) chip how about you
1: i quite liked it and if uh if anyone was smart about it this would be an hbo series before next year Mm -hmm. Mm i agree yeah because yeah really walking dead meets lost meets akira it's like oh come on (laughs) just like put it strap some kid actors to this and and let them have a go maze yeah. runner Drink that them. shit just do it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
0: maze run it into
2: the ground yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> christopher how about you maze runner that shit run it and maze runner it into the ground that's uh <laughs> that's my quote now i've I'm, i dash you know copyright christopher Richard. no it was good uh yeah yeah it was a fun it, it was it's it's a really compelling mystery and i want to see what happens next i don't know i i I hope when Ed hears this, he sends me the rest of the volumes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's right, people. We're shameless.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. shameless. But no, it was, I actually did. I forgot that he sent it to me, and so I bought it today and then read it and really sort of luxuriated in it and did some research on it. And then I was like, "Wait, did Ed send me this?" And sure enough, he did. <laughs> Found it. So that was funny. So yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a good one, and I think it's yeah, a great. It's a. It's a really solid, really smart, old school seinen SF manga that I would I would recommend. It's got great got great stuff going on, and it is, but it also has stuff in it that's like not going to be for everyone, and you just have to decide if that's you. And I think that that's fair.
0: Um oh, pretty fair, David. So I read this when it came out. After buying it with my own money, much like Christopher. (laughs) And I liked it then. It was one of those ones where I was I finished it and I was like, huh, that was pretty interesting. But I didn't like keep pushing. There's just the one volume out, and you know, like a bunch of manga comes out all the time. So I lost track. But picking it up again, I'd also forgotten my pitch, much like Chip. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, (laughs) this is still pretty good. (laughs) So I rolled into two and three, and I'm I'm very much enjoying it. I'll probably finish reading volume four later today. But I think that, like, Co-Ransom translated it, Nicole Docich lettered this one. And I think they did a great job of the localization. Like, the dialogue was really smooth. The jokes landed, which is always really tough. But mostly, this is just, like, unpredictable. And that's still one of my favorite things about any kind of book or movie or anything. Like, I don't know what's going next, even having read up through Volume 3. Like, I have an idea kind of maybe of where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah but mostly it's just Ishiguro setting up all these dominoes and then knocking them down, like where I can't see. Yeah, there's so many, there's even there's this joke where the two are talking about like, oh, if we see people who recognize you, this is probably where you're from. This is probably heaven. And the kid is like, oh, I never thought about that. And then the very next slide is someone going, hey, that face, you know, and it's not <laughs> like the right face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just all this irony and, I don't know, Swiss writing, let's say. Heavenly Delusion. I'm into it. For some reason, the volume 2 ebook is isn't on Kindle. You'll have to go to the DINFA website for that. But I recommend this one. Like everyone's saying, it's tough in places, but it's really good in other places. And I think it's well worth the the trip, let's say. I'm still not sure why it's titled Heavenly Delusion. I assume that's going to come into play later. But it's a good title, too. Mm. Yeah. But all right. We're going to take a break. We're going to play a little bit of music. You're going to hear an ad or two, and then we're going to do some shout outs. You probably also just heard a motorcycle speeding by the freeway.
3: <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> We
0: will catch you in a bit. And we are back. We just had a great offline conversation about John Bogdano's X-Factor and the effects it had on us as kids. And we are here to shout out some other stuff. I think that Deb, you've got a relevant shout out for us. Maybe, sure.
4: I guess what I would say, like, if you like this book, you if you liked Heavenly Delusion, a good second book to read, or maybe just a good book in general to read is <laughs> The Summer Hikaru Died. It's by Moku Mokuren. and it's basically again about t- about young people, but this this premise is that there are two. Um, boys living in like a rural town, they're besties. They're, you know, it's the summertime, you can hot outside, you can hear cicadas, they're eating ice cream, they're hanging out. And then we find out that one of the boys, Hikaru, disappeared in the mountain for a couple of days, and but came back. Mm. And then we find out that the other boy says, you're not really Hikaru, are you? mm." We discover that Hikaru's body has been taken over by a mysterious creature um, from the mountain. And there's some really dazzling reveals where the creature, the Hikaru, turns to his friend and his face is melting and turning into something, a monster. And he goes, how did you, t- how did you know? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's gripping. And it's re- the story reveals are really interesting. And the the monster basically begs and is like, You can't tell anybody. This is the first time I'm really enjoying myself. I've always wanted to be a human. And so the way that the the secret gets hidden from everyone around them in this small town. And what is actually in the mountain? We don't know. Really interesting horror storytelling, a lot of dread, but it's just gorgeously drawn and Mm. kind of surreal. It's only up to two volumes now. I think it's only up to four volumes in Japan. It's won a ton of awards. It's one that I've been telling people to pick up now because it's so good.
2: Mm, wow. Nice. Cool. It actually reminds me of a little bit of Summertime Rendering, which is doing some work for Udon. So it's a bit of a uh, 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 conflict of interest, conflict of interest. But <laughs> but no, for real, Summertime Rendering is about this guy going back to his hometown and uh, because his sort of childhood crush has passed away, but she drowned. And she's like, well, how could she drown? She's such a strong swimmer. They live on the island. And you sort of gradually realize that something that is part of this like quaint small town religious sort of situation is actually something very, very dark is happening and has been happening over and over again for thousands of years on this one island. And it's it's really good. Like the mystery is really good. It's not there's a couple of creepy moments, but it's not played like a horror. It's definitely played more fantastic than that but it, yeah i was i was shocked when i was reading it because it's such a page turner like you really want to see what happens next so i think if you read the first volume you'll you'll be hooked <laughs> and want to grab the rest but that wasn't my shout out actually although sure i get two one per one per this oh week. yeah you're done <laughs> no i want to say Skygrazer, which i mentioned earlier and i didn't i didn't sell it as well as i could have but it's by the same author as as today's book but like the first chapter is about these like three sweaty teen nerds who are trying to figure out how to steal porno magazines from the local bookstore and it's like so perfect and awful and it's like the shelf of devils, the shelf of angels, the shelf of goddesses and it's like so good and these kids are like hilarious and like it's 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 dumb and funny and whatever and then you realize that each of these three kids like i was saying is not what they appear to be as the story keeps going. It's phenomenal SF writing, like really good. Lots of the humor, I think, David, that you were mentioning in his other series that permeates it, but also just like the darkest, darkest turns <laughs> as you're reading it. You're like, what, really? So yeah, <laughs> that's my my sub shout out is that, yeah, this sweet, <laughs> sweet story of Stand by me for the new generation turns into (laughs) just terrible, terrible stuff by the end of the volume. It's fantastic, in a Stephen King way, actually, even. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. You convinced me. I bought the volume while you were talking. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I won two
3: this week. It's great.
0: (laughs) Though, I had a follow up question for you now. I can't. What was your. Never mind. I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Buy Summertime Rendering? Yes, absolutely. You should. I had a joke and it just went right out of my head. It was so good. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Chip, what do you have for us? Do you have a shout out?
1: Well, I have a follow up from last week's pre-shout out, which I was Mm -hmm. shouting out Doppelganger by Naomi Klein. And now I finished it so I can fully shout it out. Mm. Nice. It's amazing. And it's the kind of book where she so thoroughly dissects kind of everything happening in the world right now that almost every conversation I've been having the past week, if someone mentions any kind of topic, I'm like, well, it's interesting because Naomi Klein says (laughs) I sound like an asshole basically everywhere I go. But it's so good. She's so good at spotting patterns in the way the world works and what's kind of happening underneath the surface and between left and right and politics or whatever. And it all comes down to capitalism. Spoiler. Weird. Yeah, I know. But besides that, the other night I finally watched Martin Scorsese's King of Comedy, oh. which I had never seen before. Have any of you seen it? I've seen Long Joker, ago. but I've not seen King of Comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, then you've basically <laughs> seen King of Comedy. It's pretty amazing. It's about like Robert De Niro plays a stand-up comic, which itself is hilarious. Just that idea. <laughs> Desperately trying to get on this talk show, which is hosted by Jerry Lewis. And, and Jerry Lewis is remarkable in it as like the host of the show, like the Johnny Carson style guy. Mm -hmm. And De Niro just kind of loses his mind throughout. Insisting that he's going to be the next thing, the next big thing. And he keeps getting the run around. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing to get on the show until he like essentially kidnaps Jerry Lewis. Well, there's a scene where Sandra Bernhardt's in it and she plays like a, a wacky fan of the Jerry Lewis character. And it's her trying to seduce Jerry Lewis as he's taped to a chair. And I'm just like, (laughs) I, I never pictured those two in a movie before, and it is amazing. It's so good. I love Sandra
2: Wild. Bernhardt so much, I had no idea she was in it. You've actually made oh, it to yeah. me. Oh, my
1: God. It's really, it's really funny, because it, it plays like her and De Niro as like kind of buddies, who are both obsessed with Jerry Lewis, but for different reasons. Mm. <laughs> and like, that's like actually the, such the, a
2: good... Oh, that's
1: good. It's so good. The interactions between them were just like, no, you're crazy. No, you're crazy. It's just like, well, you are both yeah. are. Like, It's really... It's really intense and really fun and funny. Yeah, so we got a big, big recommendation for me. It's also probably not the movie I should have watched before going back to a comic convention. <laughs> <laughs> I realized halfway through as my anxiety starts to rise, I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> what am I doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that actually reminds me. I saw The Creator last weekend, which was fine. Oh, yeah. Like It was filmed in order, I guess, or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's mean. Wow. It's, it's an okay movie. <laughs> yeah. But the two trailers that played before, you'll never believe this, were The Marvels, which looks pretty good. Yeah. And Killers of the Flower Moon, back to back. What? <laughs> <laughs> which is the new Martin Scorsese movie, which yeah, can yeah. be further from. Like, they're both very good entries in their lanes. Yeah. But their lanes were in different states, you know.
1: I like the idea of counter programming trailers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. But my, my shout out this week is a concept following in Christopher's tradition of telling mm-hmm. people to go touch grass. I think that this is a good week to get used to being bad at something. Like pick up an instrument or try to draw something. Do something that you're not good at. Mm. Because it turns out there's like no consequences. Who knew? You can just keep doing it, getting better and better, and nobody can stop you.
1: You get That sounds, sounds like a good idea, but there are consequences for my sexual partner.
0: it's very true very very true yeah
1: just i'm not very good at it
0: (laughs) practice makes permanent Uh, (laughs) uh, that has been an episode of manga explaining we covered heavily delusion by masakazu ishiguro we had a bunch of good shout outs we revealed way too much as usual on our podcast (laughs) we will be back next week to do the exact same over and over again we will see you soon This has been manga Explaining, episode number 111. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga Akira Volume 5 by Katsuhiro Otomo, the last book of this season. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to D.A.D.S. for their musical accompaniment this episode. $5,000.